Look, the fire's coming. Are you ready for the fire? We're firemen. Okay. We are firemen! Got it, coach. The heat doesn't bother us. We live in the heat. We train in the heat. Yeah, let's go. It tells us that we're ready. We're at home. We're where we're supposed to be. Yeah, first off, when I say thanks, coach. thanks coach. Working hard doesn't mean bankroll. But aim for the box for the bank, though. Uh. Pad to pen, yeah, take note. Got at the helm, we in the same boat. The game requires other pain, though. No slack, practice never cancel. Yeah. Learn how to ball. Yeah. Coach when I fall. Uh. Lesson is learned. You're listening to Thanks Coach with your host, Darnell Samuels. Now, I've known Sean and Maurice, also known as Moose, longer than I've known O'Neill and Anthony. See episode six. Sean Douglas and I went to the same elementary school. I knew of him because I was two grades older than him, but I didn't pay much attention. Well, unless I wanted some of his fruit snacks. But by the time I got to high school and he got to middle school, he broke all my basketball records. That's when I knew I had to pay attention to this kid. I would win Summer League MVP, he would win Summer League MVP of the younger age group. And that's when I realized I wasn't going to be the best player in my neighborhood for long. I met Marie Smith in high school. We played for a lot of the same teams. High school for Mr. Hamilton, house league for Coach Alvin, rep for Coach Josh and Coach Phil, and we even had battles on opposing teams. I remember in grade nine, we would get to morning practices before everybody else and sit in the cold waiting for Mr. Hamilton. We would talk about doing big things. We were a lot alike in many ways, but it soon became clear that he had a lot more than I did. I saw him go from geek to chic, dud to stud, and I've learned a lot by watching his growth. Now Sean and Moose have teamed up to coach the women's basketball team at their alma mater, Sheridan College. Sean is the head coach and Moose is his assistant. I wasn't shocked that they were coaching, but that they were coaching women, especially at a time like this when men are nervous to have authority over a woman because of the Me Too movement. But I think that just shows Sean and Moose's integrity and their love for their players. Life is funny. When you're a kid, you're consumed with making it, trying to be one of the greats. But when you grow up, you're consumed with trying to help others become great. Greetings, Sean. Greetings. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So my first question is, how good was Marie Smith? I'll let him answer that since he's sitting right here. We'll talk trash about him when he's not here. <laughs> no, no, seriously. What do you remember? What do you remember about him? What do you remember about him? Uh, just speaking from the time I met him, I was about maybe 12, 13 years old. Just, just a three-point bomber. Very, very arrogant kid, but very, very confident. So... Yeah, that's all I can remember about our youthful days and, you know, just growing up and then having an the opportunity to play with him in college. It was pretty much of the same. So, yeah. And Maurice, what do you remember about Sean? Uh, well, first of all, confidence is always key. Uh, Sean Douglas, from, from a youth standpoint all the way through, uh, first met him, young guy, could handle the ball, um, athletic, finish. Um, didn't really shoot it, but he could he could play. Um, you know, getting to college, we we actually wanted him to come to Notre Dame. We wanted him to come in, and and we probably weren't ever gonna play with him. But we were just like, why are you at Heart Lake? Like you gotta come over to ND and, and 
play where the real ball is played. But uh, by the time he got to college, same thing. Um, just great guard uh, defensively and was just athletic and able to just finish at the rim or above the rim, um, make good decisions with the ball, certain stuff like that. It's his kind of game right there. Okay, so me and Sean went to the same elementary school. All right, so Conestoga Public School. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so the interesting is, thing is, so he was always behind me, like, two years. So I was, like, grade six, grade four. I'm um, trying to take this guy's fruit snacks at recess. So, but we went to Logger Quest Middle School, and then, so I set a whole bunch of records, these basketball records. And on, we're on the streets that my records got broken. <laughs> you, want to, you want to speak to that real quick, Sean? I don't know about those records, and I don't know if that was the motivation or not, but I, was just, I, I just knew I was coming in there uh, to compete at a high level just from my rep days, just knowing that, you know, just playing school ball, you might be playing with players that aren't probably the same caliber, but, you know, just trying to come in and make a name for yourself. And at that point in time, uh, our middle school was only grades 7 and 8, so... There wasn't junior, senior, anything. If you're in grade seven, you had to hoop with the grade eights, no matter what sport you were playing, soccer, flag football, volleyball, basketball. And basketball was my thing. So I'm coming in saying, I don't give a damn who any of these grade eights are. I'm taking, I'm taking the spot. So that's okay. So like Marie said, I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, why didn't you go to ND? Because all the hoopers um, were going to ND. So why did you go to Heart Lake? Well, ND was definitely first pick at the time, just based on uh, the history of basketball players that have come in and out of that place. Um, at the time, my rep coach was going to be coming to Heart Lake with me, along with his son and a few other players that we had played rep with, and it just seemed like a better fit at the time. You know, sometimes you might be a little discouraged because you're going into a situation where you're being coached by a gym teacher that may not know a lot about basketball. So that was the thing that discouraged me the most at the start but once I found out my rep coach was going there and a few players from my rep team I was a little bit more comfortable with the situation so I decided to stay at the public school room and Moose so we met what high school grade nine yeah. grade nine okay maybe you... the summer going into grade nine do you remember do you remember when we first met at ND yeah, we had a conversation about, I think, starting. who was going to be the starting. It was either the point guard or guard. And I think it might have been in French class. It was in some no, kind it, of it weird was art, class. It was art class. Art, it was class. art class. And I, I, I believe that you told me that you were going to be the starting guard and that I told you that I was going to be the starting guard. And, like, we didn't have issues with each other, but there was definitely a line drawn in the sand um, <laughs> in terms of, like, I'm, I'm probably saying, we're both probably saying the same thing. Who is this guy? Like, who, who is this guy telling me he's going to start, right? Because you were coming from Lager Quest, um, which was a powerhouse. And I was coming from St. Joachim, which was also a powerhouse. And funny enough, um, I don't know if you know this, but that game, so St. Joachim and Lager Quest were actually supposed to play each other the year that we were in grade eight. Um, it was being worked out by our coaches, but it never came to fruition because of whatever, but the word on the street was you guys were the team in the public school board and we were the team in the Catholic school board and they never mixed yeah. until we got to high school. So I, I knew kind of where you were coming from and that you, you were probably a baller, but it was just like, yeah, we got to establish some, some rank here. 
Okay, so between the three of us, we all played mm-hmm. for the same coaches through the ranks. Of course, I didn't play college ball, but you guys kind of played for the same coaches. So I'm just going to basically name the coaches, and then you guys speak on it. So uh, for the first part, let's talk about um, the Teague family slash White family right. um, and your interactions, your earliest interactions. And I think, yeah, so you could start with oh, Nate. Um, Nate. Okay, so Nate, um, I met Nate in grade my grade four year. Um, this is back when we were speaking about this. This is back when um, there, like you weren't playing basketball when you were in grade four. There was no league. There was no mini ball. There was nothing. So I was looking for a place to play and couldn't find one, couldn't find one. They kept telling me, you got to wait till you're in grade nine to even play in house league. So um, my, my father ended up finding out that there was a drop-in at Jim Archdeacon on Saturdays from four to six, I want to say it was. So he would drive me over four to six. He would, he would let me out of the car. I'd have my toonie because it cost a toonie to get in. I'd walk down. A $2 bill at that point. Or $2 bill. I'm sorry, it wasn't a toonie. It was $2 you didn't bill. Have right. Back then. right? So I have my $2 bill. I'd walk through the Jim Archdeacon corridor, walk down the, the, the pool side. You get that smell of the pool towards the gym. I think everybody who's been in that area yeah. has that. Like, I smell the chlorine. You can smell it while you're watching the court. And then, yeah, I'd get to the gym, and um, Nate, Nate would let us in. And. You know, it was just a place where we got to shoot around and kind of work on our game. He would show us a few things here and there. Older guys would come in and play full court um, on the big the big court. Us younger guys would be in gym seat. And the crazy thing is we were just happy to be able to just be on a, a court and shoot the ball. Like, I think we, we, we take for granted now um, because these kids are – we have kids right now in the gym, in a college gym, working out. We couldn't get in gyms back then. So if you got the chance to get in a high school court, the wood floor, that smell, it was just a different feeling. So, I mean, he was the, for me, my interaction with him, he was the first guy that actually let me, allowed me to come into the high school courts and work on my game outside of just being outside and playing street ball or whatever the case would be. Uh, yeah, same thing. Um, I probably met Nathan Teague around around grade four or five Um one of my first uh, rep coaches and uh, kind of introduced me to playing basketball at a high level besides just playing around with your friends outside or just playing in the house league, right? So, yeah, very influential guy in, in terms of one of the guys that got me started. And what about you play for Clyde as well? Uh, not much, so much Clyde. I think that one summer when I was on Brampton Blaze, it was, uh, it was Tony and Clyde at the time. But okay. pretty much it was mostly Nathan Teague and Josh White. Okay, how was that playing with Josh? Josh uh, yelled a lot, very <laughs> demanding, but, you know, a good coach. I just felt like, you know, he was young, just like me starting off young as a coach, very energetic and yelling a lot and thinking, you know, that's the way things are supposed to be done in order to get the most out of your players. But, you know, it, it made us tough. We were able to build uh, some thick skin growing up so it was a good experience right and what about uh coach phil which one you guys how'd you guys do with coach Coach phil Phil. coach phil uh brought brought in the the era of toughness playing for coach phil was like playing 
um, for any coach that would have coached in the 80s or early 90s in terms of basketball. So you had to be tough. You had to be able to play defense. Um, and then you had to just be, in terms of the offensive mindset, he really, he really wanted you to use your tools to the best of your ability. So whatever you had that you could use to expose somebody, he wanted you to use. And he had this thing called Freakum. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember Freakum, but if you heard Coach Phil yell Freakum, and Freakum is anything that you can do to get by your defender, right? So it wasn't like a specific move per se, but it's like if he yells Freakum, you better get you better get either to the bucket, you better get space to pull up and shoot a jump shot. Um, but you had to be tough for him. You had to be tough, and and he wouldn't accept anything other than that. Um, basically, same thing. I didn't really have a lot of experience as him coaching me as an individual. Uh, pretty much a brief moment when he started up that ball route stuff. But, yeah, he's just a very uh, tough coach. Like uh, Maurice said, he wants you to use your tools. Whatever you have in the toolbox, bring it out and utilize it, right? He never, he was never that type of uh, coach to put his players in a box and say, you're going to do A, B, and C. It was whatever you do on the playground in order to be successful – Bring it here. Do you guys remember doing touch touch? We still use touch touch with with our women, right? We use it, and you know, touch touch was. I, I feel like it started off as a form of not punish. Well, it felt like punishment, but it was definitely building that endurance and that defensive like stability in terms of being able to react quickly and get from spot to spot. But that that drill, it, it was able to build like just monsters on defense. So you guys were talking about like the most influential coaches uh, that helped you guys, and you guys mentioned the same guy, Coach Nicky. But um, Moose, you mentioned Mr. Hamilton and Coach Nicky. So just speak quickly on uh, Mr. Hamilton and his influence on you. Mm -hmm. And then I know Sean, you didn't play for him much, but like afterwards, just touch on your interactions with him um through the uh all-star team or the um, peel all-star team that you were playing for with him mr hamilton well you know because we came in in grade nine together and we we would have played for mr brennan as uh what do they call it midgets what was it called bantam bantam so we kind of always looked up to see mr hamilton as that coach who was doing the junior team and the senior team and we look up to those guys on that team so he was always kind of this coach that i saw but i was like trying to get the feel of like, whoa, whoa, what kind of coach is he in? You know, am I going to make his team next year? And then it was the grade nine going into grade 10 summer that he took myself and I think one other, Kevin Kappa, myself, Kevin Kappa, and Jerome. He took us to Detroit with the seniors in the summertime to a tournament. Um, and that was kind of like the introduction to getting ready to play for him. Mr. Hamilton, why he's so influential to me is because he's actually the guy who taught me how to shoot, right? When I first came in, I, I could shoot, but I wasn't a shooter yet. I like to handle the ball. I could score. I like to score. But he actually took me and taught me how to shoot. And, you know, in our conversations we, we spoke about and I told you, he told me, I'm going to turn you into – I'm going to – you're a machine, and I'm going to turn you into a shooting and scoring machine. Right. Now, <clears throat> for those people who don't know why this is this, this is important, because so, you know, when you started to hit your stride and um, do very well, um, 
And I, you know, so funny because I always quote you to mm. this day. <laughs> so you had a quote. You always said, "Yo, haters are born every day," and that's exactly what you got. You got yeah. a lot of hate. Yeah. You got a lot of hate for your success, and you are being labeled as a hog, yeah. a selfish guy. And I like, I known you since you know art class, mm-hmm. and I, you know, and I got to build with you a lot because we played house league yeah. together. Um, we were the first two guys at those early morning practices. Yeah. And you never came across as a selfish person. No. Never and never in our interact. Even though you were confident, you never when I hooped with you, you were always making that extra pass. But um, there was a turning point with Mr. Hamilton, like you're about yeah. to explain. But you got a lot of hate and a lot of flack for the way you played. And yeah. people would label you as selfish. So yeah, to touch on that real quick. Um well it's it's funny because a lot of people wouldn't know the conversations that happened behind the scenes with me and Mr. Hamilton and the kind of path he had me along. And like like I said, I don't know why he decided to choose me to do this with, um, but he, the message was, I'm going to turn you into a, a, a machine. That's the exact words. I'm going to turn you into a machine. Um, you're going to be able to shoot it. You're going to be able to score it. And if you listen to me, you will be successful. And I wanted to be successful. So he kind of took me under his wing, and um, he basically said, I remember, I'll never forget one time, he was like, he goes, he gets, he gets a guy to come and stand in front of me and he gives me the ball. And he goes, Moose, are you open? And I'm like, the guy was not, listen, I'm not joking, Darnell. He was, he was closer to me than you are right now. He goes, are you open? And I go, no. And he goes, yes, you are. He goes, all you need is this much space to get that shot off. And he goes, and if you don't get it off, then you're just going to be sitting on the bench. So what he gave, what he gave me, and, that, and I, I didn't take that in any kind of like bad way. I, I kind of knew he was telling me, you have the ultimate green light, right? And once he gave that to me, um, I took full advantage of it because I didn't want to sit on the bench. And I knew that he meant business. And to be honest with you, it paid off. Like I'll never forget my first junior game, my first junior basketball game, I go for six threes in the first half. And that's all because he's he's allowing me to because coaches um, use styles that, you know, whether a player can flourish in it or not, it's the coach's style that's allowing the player to kind of play the way they are. So because he allowed me to play that style, eventually it became second nature. Right. And then and then that was it. And, you know, the flack that I might have gotten for it. I mean, it's funny enough, it wasn't him that gave me the message of. Um, don't worry about people calling you a hog or saying this, that, and the other. It was Coach Nikki. Coach Nikki one time said to me, you know, don't worry about anybody calling you a hog. If I tell you you're a hog or if I tell you you need to pass the ball, then that's when you need to do it. But if other guys are telling you that, don't worry about them. You don't, gotta, you don't really have to listen to anything that they have to say. So, I mean, it, it was tough at times, but, I mean, if, if that didn't happen, then maybe I'm not the type of player that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh very, very brief time being coached by Mr. Hamilton, um, like you touched on earlier. He was uh, one of the coaches for the Peel All-Star team my grade 11 year. So we had just walk on over to ND after school, and then we'd practice, and then we just went to the one Star Wars tournament, which was hosted at Humber College, where we were playing against every other region. And that was about it. But uh, a lot of people I came up with, like yourself and Maurice, that actually went to Notre Dame and were coached by him for many, many years, from what I get from them, he has a very unique style of, of getting his uh, message across as a coach. But in terms of individual skill development, he's, he's done some good stuff. And, you know, like a lot of players have 
come out of Nordame and did some pretty good things. But either he was the guy to f- make your career flourish or is a career ender because, you know, some people don't have thick enough skin to handle the way he comes across with his messages, right? Yeah, so. if, you, if you can get, if you could get through his, his coaching, um, you, you were going to be successful. And he, um, like, it's funny because when you look back now, you don't realize when you're 15, 16, 17, all the things that he's teaching you. Um, just about life and about how to handle certain things and about, you know, everything that encompasses the game of basketball. Right. And like and in my conversation with Mr. Hamilton, I told him like, like, you know, before every practice, you know, I had like anxiety mm. because of the stress he would put me under. And one after one practice, I tried to quit. Mm. Uh, and I told him that. I was like, yo, man, like after one practice, I went to your office and you weren't there. And I said, okay, fine. Ne- you know, next day I'm going to quit. And of course, it never, you know, I never quit. Yeah. Just, you know, you just worked up the nerve not to because it was very anxious. And he said to me, he's like, yo, if you came to my office and you asked to quit, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let you quit. Yeah. He's like, that's just not going to happen. And I was just like, oh. He's like, yeah, I'm not. He's like, yeah, because, you know, I believe in you guys and I believed in you. Everybody's on the team was supposed to be there. Yeah. So there was still love there. And, I, you know, I thought it was hate. I, yes. thought it was, I thought it was just hate, you know. But now I'm a grown man. And he's just it's like, no. Nah. He's like, no, nah, I saw he something was, in you. And that's why yeah. I pushed you. As hard as he was on us, we, we, don't, re, we don't understand it as 15-year-olds. Mm-hmm. We, we just look at it as this guy's yeah. being hard on us. He doesn't like me. Yeah. He whatever. But there was always a goal, an end goal in mind that we couldn't really see. Yeah. Yeah. Until and, later. And after that, after that season, I played for him. Um, then I was playing in the summer league, and that's the year I won MVP. Mm-hmm. And summer league it was out the year after I played with him, and that was the year Sean pl- won MVP in the younger age. The group. younger age group. Okay. So yeah. Ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's when, when, when. So Sean won the MVP that year. Yeah. I won the MVP that year. Yeah. Two our slot request guys. <laughs> <laughs> Can't take it at home. <laughs> yeah. So that was dope. But so on to Coach Nikki. So with Coach Nicky, Coach Nicky cut me from the rep team. And I, I never played for him. You guys played for him. Um, but Coach Nicky cut me from the rep team, um, like, in grade nine. Um, so, but he, he walked me through that rejection and showing me where you know, I, need, I needed work. Um, so, and it was very influential for me. So, so just you guys speak on, um, you know, Coach Nicky's impact on both of you. For, for me personally, Coach Nicky took me – so Mr. Hamilton took me and turned me into a, a machine and a beast, and then Coach Nicky took me and refined it and said, okay, now we're going to strip down some of the um, fundamental pieces that you're missing, and we're going to have them – you know, we're going to simplify your game so that you can be the most efficient uh, player that you can – while holding you accountable. Because the one thing Coach Nicky does is hold his players highly accountable oh, for yes. everything <laughs> that they do. Find accountability. Accountability means, like, for instance, you don't get to play for Coach Nicky and just be lazy. You don't get to play for Coach Nicky and, let's say, I'll, I'll make it as simple as possible. You don't get to play for Coach Nicky and miss an open layup and just think it's okay. Right? You don't get to play for Coach Nicky and not hustle back on defense and think it's okay. Right there's there's certain things that Coach Nikki um, won't tolerate, and it, it actually pushes a player to become, um, you know, a better version of themselves. Uh, like I'll never forget, he took me in. It was a simple drill. We were going up and down, 
and we're supposed to get somewhere in a certain amount of dribbles or whatever. And I'm I'm over dribbling like crazy. And he's just like, he's like, guy, what are you doing? Guy. <laughs> what? Sentence what? starter. Yeah, guy. guy. Why are you dribbling so much, guy? It's like, make one move and go. And I'm like looking at him like, make one move and go. Like, what do you mean? I got a handle. And he's like, yeah, but you're not getting anywhere like that, guy. And I, I didn't understand it at first. But then as you know, you start climbing levels and defenses get better and individual defenders get better, you realize that, yeah, yeah, what he's telling you makes sense because you have to only make one move and go. You don't have time for three, four moves, right? So um, just that piece and then him being attached with the Nappies, um, his program Nappies, the AAU team, the travel team, like that was the first introduction to travel AAU basketball in the summertime and going to tournaments, whether it be Montreal, the States, local and playing against top talent i mean he's the guy that that took us and exposed us to that stuff yeah my first experience with nikki was uh with sheridan actually i didn't grow up uh being coached by anybody right but you know he is one of the first coaches like marie said to hold me accountable as an individual for what i was doing on the basketball court you know when you're growing up and you're you're more athletic than everybody you can handle the ball better you're faster but I couldn't shoot. And, like, I was, I was a really shrieky shooter. And, you know, people would play six feet off me, and I would still try and beat them off the dribble. Like, things of that nature. So, like, he's the first one that kind of held me accountable for my shooting. It was my freshman year, and he walked into the gym one day, and we were just putting up shots before practice actually started. And he looked at me, he's like, Guy, why do you shoot like that? I'm like, what do you mean? He's just like... Like, your, your form looks all right, but your feet are pointing out the door. Like, I was not squaring up for the life of me. And, like, no, I just, did. yeah, it was just sideways. And it's always going to look awkward because I'm a lefty. But the sideways stroke follow-through looks all right, but, like, feet are pointing out the door. So he's one of those guys that will hold you accountable for everything. But at the same time, if you are putting in an off, honest effort and working hard at both ends of the floor... I think uh, those are more; those are the players he gravitates more towards, you know, because like Maurice says, you cannot be lazy playing for no. him at any point in time. No. Mm-hmm. And, and he held you accountable off the court too. Mm-hmm. Like if you found out that you were messing up in school or giving your parents a hard time or whatever the case would be, um, there would definitely be a discussion. Uh, and that discussion would not go well in your favor. Mm-hmm. I know it's happened to a few people. Okay, so... And I know he coached uh, the Monarchs. Mm-hmm. And so I had O'Neal on the show, and me and him were talking about, you know, playing Blue Devil. And the incident that happened with you and Mouse when you guys came to our practice. Me, Mouse, and, and it was it and, me and Mouse that came? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it was you. <laughs> so you guys came to the practice, and then Josh asked you guys to, you know, because you played with us. So yeah. he said, all right, well, why aren't you running? Why aren't you guys getting changed? Like, get changed and, and you know, yeah. get on the court. The way he used to like to yell. Yeah, right. And then, then you told them, no. No, we're out. Enjoying the show? Well, you can show your appreciation by sharing this episode with a friend. You can also take a trip down memory lane by leaving a comment. You can contact Darnell on Facebook or on Instagram and Twitter at Dugada Darnell. That's D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. 
Yeah. All right, ex- ex- explain take, that. Take so, so I'm giving you, I'm giving you a chance to explain yourself so, on what happened because you, we heard O'Neill's side of the story yeah. on my side. Let's hear we decided, your side. We decided to, to to take our talents, let's say, to South Beach. That's oh what we called it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so no, it really and truly, we played. So the summer of grade nine, going into grade ten. No, the grade ten going into grade eleven. Sorry, we played um, for Nikki on the MDP team. Um, MDP was the Midget Development Program at the time. So, so uh, yes, yes, it was at York University. Um, we also played for his Nappies team all summer long, and we had a great year. We lost great summer, I should say. Sorry, we lost one game all summer. Won a bunch of tournaments. And we, we just kind of loved the way he coached, and we bonded with the guys. A lot of the guys from Mississauga were on our, our Nappies team and MDP team, and we kind of bonded with them over that summer. So we decided that, you know, for us to get better, it was probably the best thing to go and, and be coached by Nikki. And Nikki happened to coach the Mississauga Monarchs. So it wasn't really like... The rivals of the Blue The guys. rivals, yeah. It wasn't really like a diss in terms of like saying we didn't want to play with, with our friends in Brampton because they were our friends and we wanted to play. But we just kind of knew and felt that to go to the next level of, of our playing, we needed something more than, I guess, what we were getting from Brampton and what we were getting from... Like, w- with Josh, we played. We played a lot of games, but we just didn't feel like, you know, that was helping us get better. And after having just that small sample size of a summer with Nikki. We were like, whoa, we learned so much that we didn't know. So it was like that unknown of like, I want to learn more. So now you want to go and join where he is. It just it just happened to be controversial as well. And you know me and Mouse would never run from any controversy, right? So mm-hmm. there, there was that aspect to it too. Like we get to say, yeah, we're leaving and we're going to Mississauga and everybody's going to be like, ooh-ah, ooh-ah, right? So it was fun. So hold on, you guys went to the practice just to deliver that message, just yeah. to make sure there's people around so yeah. we could have like... It was wow. like WWF. Wow. It was like, the, you know, <laughs> debuting, you know, the NWO or somebody like, yeah, we're leaving. <laughs> we're leaving. We're out of here. And it, it, it actually, it's so funny because... There was no social media back then. There was no that social was media back then. So you're only going to hear the stories from different people, right? Yeah. But Josh played right into the perfect role because he was like, what are you doing? Why are you late? Get on the court. And we came to tell you, we ain't coming back. Right? So while he's yelling and stuff, he's just giving us the perfect ammunition to be like, we're out of here. Forget this team and forget you. Right? Like You should have ripped off your t-shirt and exposed a Mississauga jersey. Well, I didn't have it yet or I probably would have, but it was definitely controversial. I mean, these guys were probably all like, what the heck is going on? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going to Mississauga? Right? But that was funny enough. That was in the works from, I'd say, August. We, we knew that we were going to be making that move. But now that you say that, again, I think it makes sense. Because like I, I never heard your side of the story. All I know is that I remember I was there and, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like we were these bad guys. Yeah, yeah, you see, yeah, you like, like, yeah, yeah, you guys see the you know, bad we're, guy. we're saying, you know, yeah. screw Brampton. Yeah. And we don't need you. And yeah. we're better than you. and all. Yeah. It, it had nothing to do with any of that. Yeah. We yeah. respected all of, yeah. because all I, of our the joke our is at the end of the day, like you know, when we went, when we went like back to school on Monday. We all play for the same we'll team, for the same, for the same team. team. Exactly, like it's, like we're, it's like we're not going to be school. friends because we were playing on a different rep team, yeah. right? But yeah. it was. I'm sure Josh had his moments where he probably said, you know, screw these guys. You got to you got to take it to them because they're traitors and 
like I'm sure that happened, but you know, you would like anything you do that to motivate your players and stuff like that, right? Did you guys ever go head to head that season? We played four times. We played bro. four times. Gosh. We played four, and every time it was a knockout slobber knocker. Like it, it was like you know these guys were giving me like the Jordan rules. Like you go to the basket, and all of a sudden you're getting like clothesline. Just hit him. And you're like, yo, I thought we were friends. It's like, no, we're not friends anymore. Like, yeah. you, you playing for the wrong team. Yeah, yeah, we ended up winning all four of those yes. matchups, yes. including the OBA yes. um, playoffs. Yes. So we knocked them out. But, again, like Moose said, it wasn't like a blowout thing. Mm. Like, every game was just like, okay, yeah. man. It just came down to a position, possession or two. And that, like, from a competitor standpoint, that really bothered me. Because here I am, and and don't get me wrong, my Mississauga team was loaded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Marlowe. Uh, Jeff Marlowe, uh, Noodles, myself, Mouse, Dre, um, loaded. Dizzy, like we we were, Diesel, like uh, all these guys around the team. And it's Dre like, made that switch too. Huh? Yeah, Dre made the switch, but Dre was a quiet. Dre was quiet about it. Right. They just kind of went over. Class. Nobody, you, you guys wanted to. Yeah. Andre Babs a yes. class act. I, I, I held. I held the LeBron James press conference. Oh. The decision where Dre just kind of went over. No one really bothered him. Um, <laughs> but that was that was so that was tough because I'm I'm here from a competitor standpoint, looking at this team of guys that I left. Mind you, I didn't leave them because they couldn't play. I left them because I wanted to be coached by a different coach. But I like now I'm losing to them. Yeah. And now I'm pissed off. So it makes you seem feel like you made the wrong decision in right. a sense. Yeah, I'm pissed off. And you know these guys are just laughing. Mm-hmm. Cuz they're like, "Yeah, you left, but we're Curtis. beating you." Right? <laughs> losing to Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, "How am I losing to Curtis, right?" Like I, I can't cuz you know if you lose to Curtis, he's going to talk. Oh yeah. Right? He's going to talk. So I'm like, "Man." And and then I got to see him the next day. Yep. I got to see so I got to lose to them and then go hang out with them the next day, right? So it was tough. Okay, so you mentioned Josh and so, like, your relationship with Josh has been, like, up and down. And I'm sure it's good now because, you know, we're all grown men. Yeah. You know, that was all stuff was in the past. But, it, like... It was never... It was up and down because of where I think not only myself, but where all of us probably were at, at that age and then where he was at that age. And then, you know, kind of his personality didn't always mesh with our personalities as young teenagers that want to talk back, that want to whatever, whatever. I always had a respect for him, though, and I always knew that, and, and, and he always kind of, even if he would yell at me or whatever, he would always still, you know, give me, you know, positive affirmations and things like that, and I always had a respect for him because I kind of knew even then that he was doing something for us that nobody else had done before. Mm-hmm. And so there was, like, that special piece of, like, yeah, this guy's actually doing something that no, nobody cared about doing this for us before, and now this guy's doing it. So you kind of got to respect it, obviously. But, yeah, now that we're older, it's, like, water. Obviously, anything is water under the bridge because we understand more, you know. But definitely some fiery moments. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now you guys are both playing at Sheridan for Coach Flack. And so what was that like? Uh, playing for Coach Flack. Another one that just held me accountable as an individual, as an individual. Uh, very tough coach, very demanding, but you know, he had high standards because of where the program's been, and you know, you want to make sure that you're up keeping that high standard. So it was a very, very good experience because I learned a lot. And at the same time, Jim Flack off the court is a complete joker. You could talk to him for two to three hours about nothing basketball related, 
and you always knew that he was looking out for your best interest in terms of the education standpoint. He wants to know that you're going to be good after this whole basketball ride is over. So that was one of the main things I got from Coach Flack. He was a tough coach on the court, but a complete joker off the court. And for people that don't know him personally, they might not see that or might be intimidated by him, but it was all love. On the court, um, you have to have thick skin to play for him. You have to be able to to take what he's going to tell you. And this is what I tell all my kids now. Um, hear the message. Forget about the body language. Forget about the language that's coming out of his mouth. Forget about, or their mouth, or a coach's mouth. Forget about the tone of voice and the voice volume. Hear the message and understand it and then go out and execute. Because when we got to him, now you're... so. He's paid to coach. He's paid to win. Um, and this isn't high school or rep. You're gonna hear some language that you haven't heard before, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna have you know him up in your face demanding you to you know execute something, right? And I, I think I was telling you this earlier. It was the first time I ever realized like I could be on the floor and be wide open for a three, and miss the three, and, and then hear the the horn. You know, on the next dead ball, and someone's calling my name, and, I, and I'm going, "Well, why am I coming out?" Well, you're on the floor to make shots. If you're not going to make shots, then why do I have you out there? And I was like, "Well, what do you? What do you? You're not allowed to miss a shot. No, no, you're supposed to hit shots, not miss shots, right?" So the the expectation was obviously higher with him in terms of player performance. You know, you had to be able to perform, but it's all from he's. A great teacher um, and it's all from everything he does is a teaching has a teaching aspect to it so whatever he's doing whether he's ripping you whether he's encouraging you whether he's whatever it's he's teaching you something in that moment and like Sean just said it's all with the goal of um, bettering you as a man and preparing you to be a man to be in society you know Everything that happens here at Sheridan is um, academics first, athletics second. So you are expected to get your diploma or get your degree um, and then get out there and be a, a, a positive product in society. And that's the message that he really, really sends his guys. So if you can get by, if you can get by the toughness and you can have some thick skin and actually play for him and, and, and graduate, uh, you will leave ready for society okay so uh what coaches prepared you for playing for flack because you know the end goal is to play college ball but the process to prepare your guys psychologically for that so who prepared you guys like for flack i don't know if it came from a coaching standpoint uh there's been many different coaches that have been influential to me and, and influenced me in different ways. Like I told you earlier, when you're used to being one of the best players on the team, people aren't usually holding you accountable for the things you're doing wrong. So, you know, I didn't really get ripped by coaches growing up. You know, I got ripped by my parents for being an idiot. <laughs> you know, and, you know, coming the college ball, getting ripped was already second nature to me, but it had never came from a coach. And I'm saying to myself, this is what I needed when I was younger. Because I should have realized at a lot younger age that you know my feet weren't squared when I was taking a jump shot or I wasn't making this decision or that decision. 
you have a little bit more leeway when, when you're one of the better guards because you can make mistakes and know that you're not coming off because there ain't nobody else there to play, right? Now I go into a situation where I'm playing at Sheridan College. You know, I had a pretty good high school career, like averaging 20 a game, two-time Peel All-Star. And I show up at Sheridan, it's like, who cares? We have like five other Peel All-Stars. What can you do for me now? Yeah. You know? So I kind of earned my minutes that way. We're just like, all right, well, I'm not going to be the leading scorer on this team when I'm 18 years old and the average age is 23. These are grown men. They're bigger. They're stronger. So I just pretty much got, gained my minutes by working hard at both ends, defending, you know, making sure my man didn't touch the ball at the defensive end and make sure I was running the offense and not turning over the ball on the offensive end. You know, so you kind of got to switch it up to make sure you fit into that system. For me, it's probably um, Mr. Hamilton, obviously, because – Psychologically, he prepared me to deal with tough coaches, and he prepared me to be able to have this "I don't care" attitude about it. Um, not not in a disrespectful "I don't care" way, but just in a you can you can rip me, you can you know say this, that, and the other. You can take me off, you can bench me, you can do whatever you want, but the mental toughness has to stay there. Um, he started that, and then Nikki, I would say, because Nikki is a coach at Sheridan as well. He's an assistant coach, so whatever, you know, I came in from 13, still Sheridan. I came in from 13 years old all the way until I came to Sheridan knowing their systems because a lot of the stuff that we would run with Nikki, um, we would run with Sheridan, right? So cycles, different things, different defensive concepts, five ball side, I had already known where you have other guys coming in that are trying to learn it I've been doing it for the last five years. So those two guys probably prepared me the best. Okay, cool. So both of you guys, you guys uh, coached boys basketball in high school at Fletcher's Meadow. Yeah. And now you guys are coaching college girls hoops. What's the difference between the guys and the girls? Girls listen more. Girls listen more. So this is the thing, and I'll tell you, because even coaching my daughter's team, girls are more fundamentally sound. And I believe that that has to do a lot with um, the difference in athletics and athletic ability. Um, and girls listen more, but sometimes to a fault. So if you tell a girl to run a play, she is going to try to run that play um, and not even look to, divide, to divert when, it, when, when that's supposed to happen. Where boys, uh, I find, because of the athletic ability early, are more instinctual. So they like to play off instincts more than play off of, uh, well, coach told me to do, I'm a, this is from a boy's perspective, coach told me to do this, this, and this, but I feel like I'm going to do this. Right? Where a <laughs> yeah. girl will say, no, coach said to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to do this. So what happens, though, is we try to, like I personally try to get the girls to play more instinctually and get the boys to maybe more to play more fundamentally. So it's getting to them at a young age and, and getting them to kind of get those things that they can take from each other. And you get them to do that, and now all of a sudden you have a monster of a player, whether it be male or female. Yeah, like Marie said, I, the guys are just always trying to put their own spin on things, I find, you know, just from experience of coaching female and male. Like you said, 
the girls are trying to do exactly what you're trying to tell them to do. And then if it doesn't work, they're kind of looking at you like, all right, I did it. <laughs> it didn't work. Like, what, what went wrong? You know, where guys are always trying to put their own spin on things because of their athletic ability. They kind of get by a little bit with doing their own thing. But, you know, to a fault, right? Because it may not mesh with the system you're trying to run. And with girls, they listen too much to a fault to the point where they become robotic. So that's why when we do our skill development and we let them get up and down in the summertime, we just want them to just do everything based off of instinct and read and react so they can kind of get that comfortable com comfortable feeling of just playing without sets, you know, so that when we throw in the sets, they already have the skills provided to actually do them and do them effectively. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so the relationship between a player and a coach is an intimate one. So how do you guys maintain appropriate boundaries in this uh, Me Too climate? For me, it's, well, I, I have daughters, and I've been coaching them since they were in grade four. So I kind of have, you know, that understanding of, of having a daughter and how to, um, you know, treat women in sport, um, whether it be from a verbal standpoint to even a physical standpoint. Um, you know, gone are the days of, you know, Bobby Knight and, like, you know, grabbing, grabbing a kid by the collar and ripping them or, you know, even even just the verbal abuse type piece, right? Like those days are gone. So I think just, you know, in terms of appropriateness, appropriate language, um, appropriate, like we, for instance, here at Sheridan, we never enter a change room before our female coach enters a change room. Um, we have certain standards and protocol that we follow um, in order to maintain that professional um, aspect of dealing with um, our female athletes because we know that we are men, right? And we are men in, in, in coaching positions. So there's certain things, rules that we follow um, to avoid any type of incident or potential incident. Um, you know, it protects us and it protects our players. Um, but pretty much that's it. I mean... I think I pretty much got my first taste of it at Fletcher's Meadow. Um, so the uh, guidance counselor was the girls' coach, and he had to take a leave of absence, and I took over with the girls' team. And uh, one day, uh, one of my players came into practice, and she's late, you know, and I'm not really a hard guy about being late, but if you have a legitimate reason. So I was kind of like, well, why are you late? And she's just like, oh, I'm sick. And I was kind of like, you know, what do you, mean? what do you mean you're sick? Sick with what? And then our female assistant coach tapped me on the shoulder and said, she's sick, and kind of nodded oh, at me. Oh, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I kind of got it there, and I was just like, all right, you know, there's some mitigating factors, <laughs> and there's a certain way I got to communicate with uh, female players, and we just got to have an understanding that, you know, sometimes it might not be your day. <laughs> and that's okay, because maybe tomorrow will be your day, you know what I mean? But... <laughs> You know, like like Marie said, we and we have both have an educational um, background now, so it's like we have that in the back of our mind at all times. Like there's certain boundaries and there's certain things we gotta uphold. And you know, we're in a position of power and we're in a position as coaches working at a college institution now to you know make sure that everything's good. So you know, just in terms of communication, just make sure everything's on the up and up, and make sure you're not crossing any lines and you're good. Uh, in terms of basketball standpoint, coaching. You can coach the same way. 
you know everybody's yeah. an individual yeah and basketball is not going to change from male to yeah. female so you just coach the game the same way yeah. but coach the person and the individual differently mm-hmm. so then sean as well as the head coach how do you how do you conduct uh the recruiting process because part of the recruiting is you know outreaching to players um, befriending parents uh, what does that look like uh as a male recruiting um girls uh you got to build that trust with the uh, parents first mm-hmm. Like it's it's so very important because us as young male coaches, we, we got to build that trust with parents. You're recruiting a 17, 18 year old girl and their parents might have their guards up already because they don't see a lot of females on our staff. So basically, you just got to let them know you're in it for the right reasons. And basically school first, you got to make sure they're in the right program. You got to make sure that you're actually setting them up for success after basketball, because a lot of these girls, the high percentage of them, this is it after they're done here and and the journey goes by so quickly their college experience may be their last experience with basketball Mm. and they got to go out there in the real world and find some jobs and if you put them in a awkward or weird position by putting them in a getting them into a program at Sheridan that you know isn't really on their level or some it's not the path that was chosen for them then you know, it might you might be in a rough spot later on down the road, and you got to build that credibility as well. Mm-hmm. So basically, building trust with the parents, making sure school-wise they're in the right program, making sure you're staying communicating, you're 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 um, supporting them whether they play rep or AAU or their high school team. Go out there and you know watch some games and you know and let them know that you're you're interested. Let's say I'm one of your players, and I'm not putting forth the effort um, in practice or even, or even just like in, even just not performing well uh, in practice how would you motivate me each of you I take your turn but uh, how would you guys mo- how would you motivate me uh, to you know give that effort well every every kid is different and that's one of the keys uh, to coaching is knowing that and, and I learned this from Flack, um, I learned this that you know everybody's different. Everybody has a different personality. Everybody has different buttons that you can push or not push. And you, as a coach, need to learn every single one of your players, one through fifteen, one through sixteen, however many you're going to carry. So in a situation like that, you gotta you gotta know which which kind of kid you're dealing with. Are you dealing with the kid that you can get on and kind of rip into, and they're going to respond because maybe they're not working hard enough or whatever's going on or are you dealing with the kid that you got to pull to the side and say hey what's going on like and then you know who knows come to find out it's a family issue or you know a school issue or something's going on um so you got to have those personal relationships um with your players and then be able to kind of read read and react to whatever they might be going through and sometimes it might be a hey you know you need to work harder and you dig into them you know, and sometimes it might be a conversation for after. You know, something's going on. Okay, coach, I'll talk to you after about it. Okay, I'm going to need you to work a little harder than in practice. And then we talk about it after, right? But like Sean was saying, the one thing we don't do is we don't coach them any different than we would the guys. So, like, if we're going to get on you, we're going to get on you, right? But we do make sure that we know which individual we're dealing with. And we don't. I think the old way of thinking was to kind of treat them all the same, mm-hmm. treat everybody the same and kind of have this standard of, you know, this is our way of doing things. And if you're not, you know, doing what we want you to do, then, you know, you're going to have a tough time. 
where it's changed. Like you got to know these kids and know what they're dealing with and know how to kind of push those buttons to get the best out of them, right? And that's the key. You want to get the best out of each individual player to help your team, you know, do what it needs to do. Yeah. I feel like sometimes when you – and uh, a lot of times when you actually build that relationship and you build that trust, they'll walk right in the gym and tell you, hey, coach, it was a rough day. And they'll just start spewing off and telling you about all the things that made their day rough, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know if it's a way of them saying, hey, this so-and-so happens to take it easy on me today or I just want to make you aware. But once you have that relationship, some of them just come flat out and just tell you, right? So, you know, there's always reasons why someone may not be working hard. Right? And it, it's not going to be the same reason all the time. It could be a mood. It could be I'm tired. It's not always I'm lazy and I just don't feel like it. All right. So like once you get that and once you build that relationship and you're able to actually take them aside and have that discussion with them, uh, you're, you're going to be a little better off. But also, you don't always want to use those things as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, I'll be the first person to say it. Coach Maurice over here has a lot more patience than me, you know, just from those years of dealing with his daughter's teams and coming up to this now. He has a lot more patience than me, and I'm kind of the guy to say, okay, but we don't want to keep giving her that blight because then she's going to start using it as an excuse, right? So, uh, yeah, once you build a relationship, they're pretty much good, and you can just say, all right, well, this is the situation. That person over there, or that person at Humber, or that person at Seneca doesn't care that you had a rough day and you may have failed your test at 10 a.m. Because yeah. we had a game to play today. So what do you want to do? Yeah. You, got, you got to wipe it out of your mind and perform. Right? Yeah. It's the culture, too. So once you build the culture and, you know, you have – if we have 14 girls working hard and then there's that 15th who's not working hard, well, mm-hmm. she doesn't want to look out of place, right? So if there is if there is an issue, like he's saying – She's going to come in and be like, well, this is what's going on. So this is why I feel this way or this is why I'm behaving this way. But they're not going to want to look out of place because then you have, you know, 14 girls looking at you like, yo, why aren't you working hard? Mm-hmm. You know, and they, and we have built a culture that is in that direction where we have some of our senior girls, you know, they'll call you out mm-hmm. and not in a disrespectful way, but they'll be like, you got to work hard. Why aren't you defending? Why aren't you rebounding? You know, we need this. So we have them calling each other out in a positive way, and that just manifests itself in a better product. So it's a good piece there, too. Yeah, so, like, it's funny that you say, uh, like, the, that accountability or just uh, clicking into another mode despite what's going on, um, what happened before the game. And um, so how would you guys come – how would you guys see uh, – the impact of coaching just throughout the years um, in your life, like off the court, where it's just like, you know, you see yourself still have those habits that you learn from coaches from throughout the years. Um, what does that look like in your everyday life um, from the coaching you received? Well, uh, just for me earlier on, like, and Coach Maurice used to tell you, like, when we were at Fletcher's, I used to go crazy on these kids. Yeah. Like, literally yeah. because – Coach Flack went crazy on us, and we kind of felt like that's the way it's supposed to be done in order to get the most out of that those players. But once you just start seeing all your players as individuals and realizing that you got to coach every each individual player as that as their own person, then you're better off. Your message gets across. It, it, um, they start soaking up things like a sponge. Like he'll tell you, like I broke a few clipboards back yeah, in my day yeah, of coaching yeah. high school basketball. 
with these points <laughs> because I mean it's it's you're intense you were always an intense player growing up and then you were coached intense as a college player and then once you become a coach you just bring that intensity right but you kind of got to know when to tone it down at times just to get the most out of your players and at the same time you got to know when to rev it up because people are being lazy like i said earlier i think it just ha- it helps us to function in our everyday lives um as as individuals as men i mean whether it's getting places on time being accountable um i don't know finishing tasks mm-hmm. um you know being setting goals, setting goals being patient um it, being competitive it just there's a vast array of different things that you know you've learned from your coaches that allow you to function as because if you didn't have those things what would you be mm-hmm. you know how would you how would you handle everyday life and its ups and downs yeah cuz it's funny you said that cuz I, I was talking to Sean before and like it's weird it's a weird thing because like like we all think the same me you O'Neal Sharon Anthony like all those guys that we grew up with who were playing competitively mm-hmm. and and the thing we all think the same is that we all think we're better mm-hmm. than each other right like you know what i mean like 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 it's we, that competitive like, nature. like like when we first met at grade 9 you know you came to me and you're like yeah. oh you know you're going to try for the basketball team and i was just like try out i don't i don't try out i make teams that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. i don't i don't try out i just show up man what are you talking about it takes you getting cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bruh, that's when, when Nick cut me, that's exactly right. It's that's, the competitive nature. Yeah, but, you know, it's just a different wiring where, you know, you have to, you just learn to, um, especially in learning from each other, because I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot from watching Sean play, even though he was younger than me. Yeah. You know, you even, can always take from each other, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it just not just skill wise, but just like watching Sean kill the summer league. Yeah. Like, like I remember, I remember like after my games, I'd be like, I'd be sitting in the stands waiting to see what what Sean's gonna do next. And, I, and one time I asked him, I was like, Yo, wait, yo, you know, you this is this is off topic, <laughs> right, but right, you, you no, had no, a let's good. Jump in, hold on, let's jump into this. So we keep going, keep you, the film rolling. You had a good, um, you got MVP that year, but do you remember the meltdown in the game that got away from you? <laughs> do you remember that? So just real quick, just real. <laughs> it was that. So it was. It was. I was at a practice. Remember, this is the MVP. Wait, wait, hold on. No, 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 moose, no moose, no moose. Stop right there. Yeah. Stop right there. That wasn't me. That was Andre. No, no, no. It was you. Okay, explain. So it also okay, go. Ha- no, sorry. It happened to Andre, but it happened to you at a different time. Okay, okay, okay. Roll the clip. Tell, tell so, me what happened. <laughs> I I show up. Okay, Andre's. I was there for the whole game. Yours is the yours is the halftime entrance. So I was at a practice at Terry Miller, right? Remember, he's having a hell of a season, mm-hmm. right? I'm in and out of summer league. I'm, I'm here, there. I'm with Nikki. I'm with Nappies. I'm just doing a whole bunch of different stuff. So I come to summer league when I can. But Darnell's balling. So I'm at Terry Miller with Josh, funny enough, at a practice, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, yo, shoot, I got a game that starts in like 30 minutes. But remember, we don't have cars. Yeah, no we, 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 no Uber. We didn't have our parents really driving us around like we do for our kids, Mm -hmm. or at least I do for my kid. And um, you had to take the bus, right? So I jump on the bus, and I'm I'm trying to get to Jim Archdeacon. I'm trying to get there because I'm like, we're playing Darnell. I know he's probably going off right now, and I need to get there to try to, to play spoiler. So 
walk in at halftime, you know, like I would just casually walk in and take off my stuff and whatever, sub in. Darnell's already hot. So now I get on the floor, me and him going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, talking, talking, talking. Long story short, and his mom was in the building. I'll never forget it. I was in the building too. You were in the building. Crowd's hype. I started laughing when you walked in. And (laughs) yes, yes. As everybody was, was because you knew what was going to (laughs) happen. So it was a close game. It must have been within five. But we pull out the victory. And Darnell absolutely loses it. He is like, this wasn't supposed to happen. How did this happen? How do we let this happen? And his mom's trying to calm him down. And she's like, no, no, it wasn't supposed to go down like this. And <laughs> I've heard the story on everybody's many occasions. Just, everybody's just like, Darnell, calm down. He's like, no, I'm not going to calm down. Right? And it was so funny, but at the same time showed um, how competitive he was. Oh, yeah. And showed how competitive he was and showed that, like, it was. And that's why he was the MVP that year because it, 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 he just wanted it that bad but I'll never forget that because uh, like I found it entertaining to kind of get to get him to get him you know going yeah. but um, definitely that's like one that's probably one of the best stories out of that summer league man well you know what I remember about that was yeah yeah so so I remember so I was I was returning MVP yes I was the returning MVP so like if, like you guys had to put yourself in my shoes like I'm, I have a chance to be two-time MVP. So like, it, like uh, in my head, psychologically, you're I'm the king. To, yeah, you're not supposed to I'm lose. I'm the, I, I, I am, I'm the king, and you're coming in to take my crown. Yeah. So I'm not trying to have that. And the backstory with that was, because you know who was coaching me, Craig. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Little Craig. Little, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so Craig was coaching me, and. Man, I don't want to throw anybody under. The <laughs> but you know what? I'm gonna keep it 100. That was a fun I, one. I'll, I'll keep it 100 with you. I'm hooping with Omari Henry, yeah. young, a young Omari Henry, because me and Moose are the OGs yeah. by that time. We're older, yeah. And 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 Omari's your age, and he's or playing. A year older. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're older. So so Omari's young, and I'm playing with my, I'm playing with Dwayne Rodney. Yeah. Yo, sorry, yo, Dwayne Rodney. Oh, I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> I'm not throwing you under the bus. But Dwayne Rodney, um, as a young person as a young guy playing in the older league, mentally wasn't ready. Yeah. All, you know, he, he was my point guard and I was playing the off guard. So when I won MVP, I was the point. Yeah. Um, so the next season I'm playing shooting guard yeah. and he's the one. So all you had to do to say to, to Dwayne Rodney was like, yo, you're trash and or you're this. It. And then he would just lose it and it would become one-on-one. And then now I'm not touching the ball. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily, I was mad at you, Moose. I was mad at Craig. You're mad at yeah. You're and, mad. And I you're cussed, mad at the and loss. I cussed out. And I cussed out. Craig. No, I never knew. I never thought you were mad at me. I no. knew you were just mad at losing. Yes, and I was. And mad that's at, what I enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 I cussed out Craig. I cussed him. I told him the f. You off. lost it, man. I told him. I'll the never. F- I wish we had footage back then. <laughs> I told. <laughs> I told him. So I told him to f off. I said, yo. He's like, yo, calm down. I'm like, hell no. I'm like, yeah. f no. Da 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 da. Yo, f that. I'm not. Yo, da da. So I'm cussing him. I'm. And I'm mad at my team. I'm mad at Rodney. I'm mad at Omari, these younger guys who I'm supposed to win a championship with. I'm mad at Craig because he promised me that he would put me in a position to repeat his MVP. And he didn't do that. And so (laughs) now my mom, oh my gosh. So my mom was like, oh, Darnell, calm Calm down. down. And like 
like like a scene from above the rim, yeah, like Carl yeah, Martin. Yeah. F that. Yeah. yeah. I, I said to my mom. I said to my mom, Yo, F that. Just like in the movie. Yeah. Get was, this guy out of here. Yo, get, get this guy out of here. So Josh. <laughs> so Josh. Josh was ref in that game, and then after the game, uh, you know, Josh said. Um, Hey, you want to play rep for me? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yo, he's like, he's like that. He saw that. Yeah, yeah. So that's when Josh said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to play for me in the winter. But yeah, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not proud of that moment, and I apologize to my mom. You know, because your of mom, course. you know, your mom comes to support you. You can't cuss yeah. your mom. You can't embarrass yeah, yeah, yeah. your mom. So, I'm, but yeah, that that was definitely one of those moments where, yeah, winning was. That's what it was about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always knew you were a competitor from before that, just winning that MVP year. But that year I won, and I was called up to play up with you guys. That's when I knew you were a competitor. This guy was Ding me up full court yeah. when the rest of his team was falling back. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, Darnell, what are you doing, man? Touch the ball. But it's that alpha male mentality. Like, Darnell knows I won MVP in the younger league. And he's you like, show you. you, you got to show me. You ain't going to come up. You're not going to play up and then have to do the same stuff you were doing in the other league, right? So... Yeah, I'd always love that competitive nature. Yeah, but you know what? Now we go to into the workforce. You know, we transition into real life. We're not hooping anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're applying for a job or, um, you know, you got to pass a test for class. Um, and th- that those same competitive juices come back where you're like, okay, you know what? I'm not losing this, this interview. Like, I got to get this interview. I'm not losing this interview. Mm-hmm. I got to take this test. I'm not losing this test. Um, you know, whether it's you got to, Whatever the case is, just in real life, or you have bills due, the pressure of bills due, or whatever the case is, you just learn to, like, look, man, I'm not taking an L today. Mm-hmm. You know, and even when we do take an L, we, we still don't handle it. We still carry ourselves like, yo, but I'm still, you know, I'm still the man. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I got an L, but it's okay. There'll be another time to, to, to chalk up a W. So those are the things that. That we learned, but yeah, man, it, it was dope hooping, you know, against you, Moose, um, starting from grade nine and, yes. and and through the years, and and then Dosco seeing him grow up, and and I I guess too, because for you know for Sean, he was younger than me, and we all, we came through the same elementary and middle school, so I always kind of felt like okay, you know. He's next in line I'm behind knocking me. Knocking on your door, but he's knocking on my plans. door. Like he was just getting, he was just <laughs> getting, yeah, he was just coming, he was just getting better real fast. So I was just like, oh shoot, like, like, cause you know, like you know, even you know, among guys who came out of Logger Quest, you know, just which is kind of weird, cause you know, guys, point guards who come out of Logger Quest, there's kind of like, okay, well, who was better? Was it Game and Teague? Was it Darnell Samuels? Was it Pierre Thompson? Was it Sean oh, yeah, Douglas? Was right yeah, after yeah, Pierre was, was there. Terrell was there too. Terrell was there for one year. Yeah, yeah. Who? Daryl Barnswell. <laughs> I didn't know. I forgot about yeah, Barnswell. Daryl went to the goat himself. He's a street ball legend. Yes. <laughs> you can never put it together in between the lines, though. But catch him outside of Jim March. I'll never forget the outside year. Outside of St. Leonard's. He was on our team. Any outdoor court, he's putting in that work. And he was ready. Like, he was on our team, and he was poised to, to just – he was he was a starter. He was a starter. So, just for the record, yes, Daryl Barneswell was the starting Point, shooting guard. Was a shooting he guard. He was the starting shooting guard at Notre Dame our junior year. And I saw him – we're getting ready to play whoever. I can't remember who it was. And we're in our warm-ups. We're getting ready to warm up. And I'm like, yo, where's Daryl? And everyone's like, I don't know. And then I look in the crowd, and he's sitting in the crowd. <laughs> And I'm like, and he's in his street clothes. And this is why he's a legend. This is why he's a street ball legend. He's in his street clothes. So I'm like, 
yo, Daryl, like, what are you doing? Like, we got, we're about to play. And he's like, nah, I'm not going to play. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not going to play? And he's like, uh, I'm just too nervous. And I'm like, but you're Daryl Barneswell. Like, you <laughs> can hoop. Like, what do you know? Ner- he couldn't put it together in between the lines. But if you give him a ball and some asphalt and a hoop outside, he's going to put you to shame. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was that he was that good. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember even, like, me and him growing up, the big guys wanted him to play on the run. Because, yeah. you, know, you know, when you go play pickup, yeah. You know the big guys have to pick you. You, yeah. you don't. You don't pick the big guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't say you got next on on the big guys run, right? Yeah. yeah they have to pick you. So Daryl was always the one who was picked to um, play with the big guys, yeah. and I never got picked um, on our teams. He was the one who was winning the MVPs, not me. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, technically you had to you had to fight for your starting position to win it over well, Daryl. When yeah, when he sat in the crowd, that yeah, was it. Yeah. Like, that gave me that gave me the go ahead. But he was man, that guy was special. Mm-hmm. That guy was special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, fellas, this was fun. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, any, Nostalgic. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Nostalgic. Walk down memory lane, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, I appreciate you guys and. Um, and even just sitting in watching you guys run a practice, it's still weird for me because, like, I remember us, you know. You remember us as players. As play, as my, yeah. as my, as my peers, as peers, goofing off. Yes. And getting into trouble and, and going on trips with Josh. And now you're like they're running a structured practice. Yeah, running a structured a co- practice. Structured college practice. You know, and and and, and, and being a role model to people. And even yeah. like, and then in my head, I'm like, yeah, but I remember these guys. You know, we're always goofing off. Yeah. And, you know, traveling with Josh and getting into getting trouble, into trouble breaking mirrors, and <laughs> all that, all them antics. You know what I mean? Madness. So, so it, it was good to, um, it was good to, to see you guys do that. And yeah, man, yeah, man, proud of you guys. Appreciate you guys as coaches and as uh, friends, brothers. You know, so best of luck in the future. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on, fellas. All right, thanks for having us. On the next episode of Thanks Coach, I interviewed my old coach, Philip Johnson. I remember, you know, you uh, got mad at me. We were on the same run. For those of you who don't know, like if you're playing pickup and it's game point, usually rule of thumb is nothing easy. You foul everything, you wrap them up. You know, that's what you do on a game point. And I didn't do that. The guy just came down. He just, you know me up a couple times got to the basket with ease layup and you lost it on me you know the rebuke was so loud the guys on the other court because there's two courts you know um, there's the you know there's two courts so the guys on the other court had to stop and they had to look over like oh shoot what's going on over there and like you were getting in my face about not giving effort and you know i you know i went home and i cried that night Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to say thanks, coach.